0: You are listening to the Tricer podcast, where we talk all things hunting, gear, and the great outdoors. Before we begin, let's start things out right and put God first. Lord Jesus, I thank you for Tricer, and I ask that you can use this podcast as a way to bring joy to all of our listeners. We lay Tricer and this podcast at your feet. Amen. All right, I am so stoked today. To have Colton and Justin Gibbons on from Limitless Outdoors, two solid Christian dudes. When I first started Tricer in 2020, I made a list of companies I wanted to work with, and you guys were on the top of it, not because you're awesome hunters, which you are, but because you guys are incredible men of God. And I have so much respect for what you're doing and the way you use hunting to disciple people. And just and welcome on to the podcast. I'm excited to have you here.
1: Thanks for having us. We're excited. Yep.
0: Limitless Outdoors. You guys started this thing. Have you guys been Christians your whole life?
1: But no. So we, I came 13. to the Lord in two, 2013.
0: 2013.
1: Yep. And we had been filming. I was just telling this story the other day to somebody, but Colton and I had this old camera that we filmed with when we were little kids. And we'd go up behind our house filming with that thing. And one day we were up there and we'd found this nice white tailed deadhead and a couple of things. And we were reviewing the video on top of this cliff and the camera slipped out of our hands and oh, my
2: hands Yeah,
1: out of Colton's hands and endowed down the cliff. So we've been videoing for a long time, but we started Limitless Outdoors in 2013.
0: Okay. And did you start it when you got saved?
1: Yeah. Yep.
0: Okay. It was it instantly like, I just, so I know like when I got saved, cause I did not grow up as a Christian. I grew up in a broken home Drug addict parents, alcohol father, domestic violence, the whole nine. I got saved, radically saved when I was 20 years old. I was an atheist, 19, 19, 20 years old. It was a process to get this guy saved. I was just like, at that point, on fire. And I was going into bars. I did a year of Bible college. Like I just was just tearing the world apart. So it sounds like that. Is that kind of what happened? It seems 2013 is not that long ago. That's 10 years ago. You So you got saved and just went into it.
1: Yeah, it was all in right from the beginning. Colton's story is a little bit different than mine. I definitely led the way in that. But yeah, I was it was all in. What you said, we had all we knew that was that God was real and we wanted to tell people about him. And yeah. I believed out of the gate. I believed that everything that we do should glorify the Lord, like even in our hobbies. And so that's where it started. It really escalated from there, but that's where it started. It was just like, hey, we're not just going to church and telling people that we're close to about Jesus, but we have this, it was a small platform at the time. We were making DVDs, but we have this platform and we're just going to, we're just going to be faithful in that. And that's where we started.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, I, I think there's nothing more beautiful than someone when they first get saved and that you just see them like, and I think it's almost because you're not as calculated. You're just more just like shotgun blasting out there and just telling everybody about God. You're just running around. Oh my gosh. That's like the guy getting healed um, in Acts, right? He's just getting up and jumping and strouting and telling everybody or the guy who gets healed and they're, who healed you? And it's like, Jesus healed me. but just doesn't even care who he's talking to because you got healed. It's a beautiful thing. Colton, you came later through Justin?
2: Yeah, he started pushing me along. And I, while I was here in North Idaho for a while afterwards, I really, I loved it and I was part of church and everything else. And then I ended up leaving to go guiding and things got dark for a while. For about three years, it got really dark for me. And then met my wife and just flipped a switch again and got on fire again. So it was a rough patch to say the least. But yeah, it was, oh, what? Probably oh, about six years ago now is when I full-on gave up my myself and went head first. So,
0: Yeah, I feel like it's pretty awesome, too. Obviously, I don't recommend, hey, you should go screw up a bunch. So yeah. You disciple people. Yeah. <laughs> you should go do all this bad stuff because so you, you still have all this healing. You, I mean, sanctification is this constant process from the time you get saved to the time you die, right? Even the most godly yep. person is still trying to be like Christ. But you have a testimony now where you can actually go out and meet these guys where they are, Yeah, meet the sure. outdoor industry where they are. And I'm sure like when Justin got good and saved, you were probably like, really?
2: The, the first time that he told me he thought he was going to be a pastor, I laughed in his face.
0: Yeah. yeah. My, <laughs> I had a very similar experience, Justin. So I got saved up until last Sunday when my sister got baptized 20 years later. They thought I was crazy. And I got saved, and they're like, it's just a fad. This is just like when you got into whatever hobby it is, you're just going to drop it. Right. And I've never stopped. Like, I have not, like, I got saved, and it's been a whirlwind for almost 20 years now of just pushing for Jesus, believing in God. Like, I fully believe that Tricer is God anointed, and I, everything I do is focused on growing the kingdom of God. And it, one of the hardest things for me was I've led, I'm not like, oh, I'm bragging. I've led a lot of people to the Lord. I've discipled countless people through my Bible studies, through men's conferences, whatever, you name it. And but I never let any of my family to the Lord. And my sister just got baptized. She got saved. Her, I'm going to baptize her husband and their kids. And uh, it's awesome. So it's cool. That's awesome. They finally pay off after 20 years. So talk about that. Why use... I know you guys do epic hunts and you guys do some of the most hardcore stuff, borderline crazy. Some of the stuff like you guys rafting, you guys, I want to hear about you guys almost suffocating in that tent this year. You do some epic stuff and you have a pilot's license, Justin. Um, Why beasts push God so much in your stuff? What is the reasoning behind it? What are you trying to, why are you trying to glorify God in what you do?
1: It stopped being about hunting animals for me quite a while ago. I sure enjoy hunting, but I think when you really have an encounter with God, so the reality that we believe about God as Christians is that he upholds the entire universe by the word of his power. And so a God who's powerful enough to uphold everything, like you look outside right now and we're thousands of miles apart, like he's upholding everything, sustaining everything. Like when you run into that kind of power, it has, you have no what option, but to change, right? It's like getting hit by a freight train. You might've looked one way before the train hits you, but after that power hits you, you look totally different. And that's what we're talking about earlier, right? Like when you're truly born again, as Jesus says in John chapter three, like you're just a little kid again. Like there's that youthful zeal. And I think in a lot of ways, the one thing I don't want to lose is that first love. Like when you're young, when you're first converted, and you're born again, you don't know enough to get super technical. All you know is that Jesus is God, that he is real, that he loves you, that he's willing to forgive, that you're hell bound without him. And like from that simplicity, that childlike faith, you're just proclaiming it powerfully. Effectively, you're not at some PhD level. You're just talking like a normal person to your friends. And that's what we saw was a, like, I don't know. I can't say we saw that right out of the gate, but that's what we saw as a massive gap is you go to these churches and as a hunter, I wanted nothing to do with churches. Like When I looked at the average guy that went to church, he just seemed like a soft dude. His hands were soft. He didn't have calluses. He just talked weak effeminately. I don't know. I don't want to harp on these guys too much, but still when you look inside the average Christian church, the guys aren't super masculine. But when I read, like, just opening the Bible, reading it from cover to cover that first year, I'm reading about these guys that were just total savages, right? Like Mm -hmm. the people in our lineage of God followers were total savages. And I can get behind that, right? These guys weren't weak. They were strong men. And so as Limitless evolved and grew, as God just guided it, we started realizing there's not a whole lot of guys out there that non-believers respect One of my big problems with Christianity and the production world is like you watch all the movies and videos and stuff, and it's just always second rate. Like it's just the movies are not good. Like the storylines, the acting, it's just some of them are getting better now. But as Christians, we should be top of the line. And one of our core values of Limitless Outdoors is hardcore hunting. And it sounds silly, I think, from the outset, but it has really defined everything. We don't hunt turkeys, really. We don't hunt whitetails. We want to hunt in a way that when somebody watches us on YouTube or on TV, they're like, who are these guys and what fuels them? What keeps them going? And then we share the gospel with them and they're like, okay, that's what separates. Like, Our goal is to be in a whole nother bracket, a whole nother level that's inspiring everybody behind us. And when people wonder what is it that separates us, it's super clear through our entire ministry. It is Jesus that separates us from everybody else. So you wondering why we're up here, and you want to be up here? It's Jesus that changes that. So that's where we're at with it.
0: That's awesome. That uh, I'm glad you spoke to that too, because I'm reading Second Samuel right now, and I was thinking this morning, I'm like, oh, dude, David's mighty men. Like I want to talk to Justin Colton about David's mighty. <laughs> what. And like it's cool that like you actually brought that up. It's almost you didn't say that, but it's what I was like instantly what I was thinking this morning, and I was praying and reading the Bible. Speak to that. Speak to a soft generation. Like there is this weird like this effeminate movement across the country, not just in the church, but in everything, right? Like even in the church, like these guys with the skinny jeans and the girl shoes, like, it's just, I don't understand it. Right. I don't. It's just, it's not masculine. Right. And I don't think, I don't think it's biblical. I don't, I I think it's this thing where the world's, they're trying to conform to the world and all it does is just continue to degrade us to get to a point where now we have guys wearing dresses. And if you do say anything against it, you're a bigot. Right. Um, I think the world wants mighty men. And even though we, even though people would be, you would be labeled as a bigot or labeled as somebody who's um, uh, toxic or whatever, really they want it. Even women who might say that still want it because God naturally put this drive in us to kill things, hunt things, be the man, be the protector, right? My wife knows that no matter what, I will die for her, right? In a heartbeat. It's not even a question. And she, women want that to care. They want a man who's, this whole new air conditioning and nice house thing is like a new experiment. Up until hundred years ago, we were out there with our hands, plowing the field, working from sunrise to sunset, hunting and providing for our family. And I don't well, think that yeah. changed.
1: I think you can dress it up, whichever. There's a lot of different flavors. I think, okay, so there's a couple of things. First off, you're not going to win any of these guys over by making fun of them. We got to love them into the kingdom. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. And I think it's easy to build barriers. But however you dress this up, whether it's the transgender stuff, like all of it, or women like going after soft guys, it, it all boils down to the essence of sin. And the essence of sin, I heard John Piper say this once was, it is it is believing something else can bring you more satisfaction than God and then pursuing it. And, and that goes all the way through God's order. Like God's order is one woman, one man. And all of a sudden I believe, you know what? That's great that God says that, but I believe that there is a different combination of man and man or man and woman or man and thing that can bring me more satisfaction than God's ordained order. And then I pursue it. And, and that's the essence of sin. And C.S. Lewis, I quote this all the time, but C.S. Lewis said, Human history is the long and terrible story of man trying to find something besides God to make him happy. And that's what we're dealing with in this generation. A woman thinks that this, I don't know, effeminate, non-God-fearing man is going to bring her satisfaction. And it might itch some pleasure scratch that she has or whatever for the moment. But in the end, it's the long and terrible story of man trying to find something besides God to make him happy. And that's what we're dealing with. It's just sin 101, just coming out in different ways at different times. But it's the same problem from the very beginning.
0: And someone reached in the talk to me. I was talking about you guys and teaching and and stuff. And they're like, I don't know if that'll relate to everybody. And I'm like, man, you're kidding me, right? Every dude loves watching the Gladiator. Yeah. Not good Gladiators. Every dude loves watching Braveheart, right? Because they want to, they have that warrior inside of them. Even though they try and pretend, oh, I'm not this thing. You can't mask what God created and God has inside of you. That's why when you put a rifle in someone's hands, you put an animal in the crosshairs, people love it. (laughs) They love that feeling, right? Oh, this is masking. Or you go out there with your buddies and like you endure the suck. We love that. We in like more than the, the the kill. That moment of that eight mile pack out with a heavy pack in the rain. And it's just, you feel like you're not going to make it and you finally get to the truck or whatever it is. Like that is, there's something there that men are drawn to and want. And I think that's why when you guys do this stuff, people love watching it.
2: Justin, I put it into a phrase years ago when we started hunting together again in Colorado, it's used the phrase passion over pain because What we love to do is share the gospel and how we go about doing that is pushing through the pain and doing what's hard. There's countless times where through our YouTube and everything else, it's, yeah, we'd probably be bigger if we didn't share the gospel all the time, but you know what? It's what we're called to do. And we're going to do that because it's what we love. Even if it has its own setbacks, like we're going to keep on doing it because it's what we're meant to do. It's what we're put here on this earth to do.
0: Yeah, for sure. What are the correlations between I, I had this conversation with Cody last week about the correlations between entrepreneurship and hunting. What are the correlations between hunting and your walk with God?
1: In what way could you specify exactly what you're looking for to that?
0: Enduring. Pushing through, going through hard times, patience. I feel there's a lot, I feel there's a lot of things that kind of can be replicated in the hunting space as is your walk with Jesus.
1: Yeah, I think the number one thing that just comes to my mind when you ask the question is my friend Shane, he always says we've got to give God a chance to do a miracle. And what that looks like in our hunting and in our faith is we keep going. You're not going to kill, you're not going to kill a big bull elk sitting on your couch. You got to just keep putting in the miles and you keep going ridge after ridge after ridge. And and sometimes in our walk with the Lord, like things are not going great. But at the second you give up, it's over, right? And one thing I say all the time is if you're not dead, you're not done. And just that combination, hunting is all about giving God a chance to do a miracle. We just keep going ridge after ridge. The reason why we kill stuff consistently. Number one, we're blessed to have quite a bit more time than most people get. We have a lot of time to hunt in the fall, but also we just keep going. When other people fold after two days of hardship or three days of hardship, we keep going. And we've given up on some hunts before. And when you give up, it's over. But if you just keep giving God a chance to do a miracle, it's been amazing how many last days that you could ha- you could come up with every good reason to not go out. You go out and God does the miracle. So give God the chance to do a miracle.
0: Mm-hmm. That's good. So you guys do kill a lot of big stuff. Is that because you're just more blessed and anointed than us?
1: A hundred percent. hundred percent. No. So actually, well, I've been thinking it about
0: it. And I feel like God just is, I don't want you to kill big things because then you'd probably never do ministry again.
1: Yeah. I think we kill some good stuff for sure. No doubt about it. But Honestly, I'm really coming to terms with this lately. We do not kill that big stuff. Like you go to the Salt Lake Expo and you see the stuff that the Mossback guys are turning up and killing down in the premium units. They're killing big stuff, but that is not what we're about. We're not about killing big stuff. We're about the adventure experience. It's the total package, right? We don't have 10 guys watching a single bull for us and we're not moneying it to death. We're going into an area that we've never hunted before. Mm We're going in honestly with stuff that just about any guy could afford. Our rafts are three hundred dollar rafts, mm-hmm. and we're just send we're just sending it, and it's the adventure for us. It's just like when you're just hanging on by the by your fingernails on this sucker, and you just don't know. Like it, you got to rely on everybody on everybody on the team to get through this situation, and you're just going as far out there as you can into uncharted territory, and that's our style. It's not. Colton says it all the time, and I should let Colton talk more, but Colton says it all the time. He says, it's not about the size of the trophy. It's the size of the experience. And that is really, I'm, I've really verbalized it here in the last couple of weeks. That is what, that's what differentiates us. Man, we're not killing 400 inch bulls all the time. We kill some nice stuff, but we hunt in a way that's, I think, very unique. It's all about the adventure.
0: You got anything on that, Colton?
1: Justin
2: nailed it on that. It's, you do go through like the Salt Lake show where we just were. People have insane animals. They've got 300-inch bucks, and they've got 400-and-something-inch bulls. We've never even come close to touching that. Justin's best bucks, what, 202 and 5.8s? My best bull is, what, 350, and he's missing 20 inches of main beam. So, like, we're talking about good animals, really, some really good animals between Justin and I. But overall, if you add up our average, it's not a great average, but we're literally... We're going on hunts and two places in our desire, our literal desire is to go to places that very very few people will see or touch and we want to enjoy the place and the place where the animals live because at the end of the day, nobody and I literally mean absolutely nobody is beating the animal out there in the woods the, the animals live out there the only thing that you're doing is you're going out there and you pull the trigger. What you're doing when you're in the woods is you're beating yourself. And yeah. you're pushing yourself farther than you were, or to be better than you were before you stepped out the door the first time to go out there. It's just, yeah, I, I've used that analogy with guys with hunting mountain goats before. Yeah. I guided a mountain goat years ago and it was literally one of those things where like, wow, these are animals are really hard to hunt. Mountain goats aren't hard to kill. You can sneak right up on a mountain goat. They're pretty dumb animals. But where they live, it's hard to get to. So Mm -hmm. if you can beat yourself and push yourself through the obstacles that are gonna be thrown in your way, then you can come home with a little bit of a reward. But honestly, the the true reward is the fact that you're better than you were. And it ties into the gospel also, honestly, is like every day you're just trying to you're trying to get sanctified and become closer to Jesus. If you don't do that, and if you're not getting closer to Jesus every day you wake up, then you're stagnant and you're even going backwards.
1: Yeah. And I think what Colton said about we're going out there and we're going where nobody else will go or very few people have gone. The funniest part about that is we are going to places that nobody goes, but everyone can go. Mm -hmm. So I think the distinct difference between us and even growing up, like I love the Primos guys, but they hunted with guides and on ranches and stuff like that, where not everybody could go, but every one of our tags, except for, I think we've drawn one, I've drawn one special tag ever in Colorado for deer. And it was only one preference point. Other than that, like all the hunts that you've seen us do are all do it yourself over the counter tags. So- literally anybody could do them. And people will go, oh, you got to have all this money. What people don't realize is that when I first started hunting moose in Alaska, my wife and I would go and pick huckleberries. I was making about 30 grand a year at the time. And we would go pick huckleberries all summer and sell the huckleberries. And that would pay for my moose hunt. And we were pulling off moose hunts for $3,500 in Alaska. That's what we were doing. And it's just uh, a lot of people excuse it or don't understand it. But the hunts that we're doing, we're going where most people don't go, but anyone could go, which is cool. Mm -hmm.
0: So are you in Alaska full-time? Yeah. So you live up there full-time. How long have you been up there?
1: I just moved up here in August. So August 1st, I'll be resident. So I'll be hunting brown bear.
0: That's awesome. And mountain and doll sheep. And you could bring family members that are...
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> only if you like them though. That's the thing. Yeah, so don't I don't have any family grand. I like. Yikes.
0: It only costs you 10 grand Colton instead of 27 to go on. Yeah. That's, good. yeah. yeah. Uh, that's awesome. So speak to the adventure. Cause you guys do, you've obviously had the Alaska bug. So what gets your go? What is your adventure? Justin, what's your favorite adventure?
1: I don't have one. I, it's all about for me, once you cross that day, 10 day, 11, out there anywhere in Alaska, it's just such an adventure. You become really hardened to the place. And I was just looking through pictures this morning. And when uh, two years ago, Colton and I were in a place we call Valley of the Bulls. And it was like day 12 or something like that. And we just walked around with a shotgun all day, like six miles back, this drainage, shooting ptarmigan all day. And then we aired up our raft and floated down through this glacier water all the way back to camp.
2: Pass That's my, pass the grizzly on my bear. Past oh, the grizzly
1: goodness. on his, yeah. like, it's just, that's yeah. where it's at. There's, there's nothing like it. I don't, there's so much cool stuff here. We're going to, like you said earlier, we've got a plane now and I'm a pilot and we're going to be hunting some crazy stuff. Coastal bears landing on all the beaches doing, doing all the coolest. Stuff. I don't know. There's, so, it's just, it is endless up here. The challenge is endless. The land is, it's bigger than one guy could hunt in his whole lifetime or a hundred lifetimes. It's very cool up here.
0: That's awesome. Where in Alaska are you?
1: So I'm in Homer, which is southwest of Anchorage by about hundred something miles. As a bullet flies, maybe five hundred miles as a crow flies, as Colton would say.
2: <laughs> as a crow flies is a pet peeve of mine. If you, whoever came up with the saying, had obviously never watched a crow fly, because if you watch a crow fly, they just do circles. So I say air miles, or as a gro- as a goose flies is even acceptable, but as a crow flies is completely unacceptable. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, I don't know what it's about crows, but they have that noise they make when they fly too—that wind sound. You don't hear any of the bird that, like, yeah. Oh, there's a crow coming. Yeah. So up in Alaska, are you are you guys chasing blacktails at all? Like, sick of blacktails?
1: I will be. I never really, I never gave any thought to them because, as a non-resident, by the time you like, if you're to go to Kodiak or whatever, by the time you get a boat or get flown in, it's just as expensive to kill a blacktail as it is to kill a moose. Like it becomes silly at that point, but I'm about an hour, just over an hour from Kodiak right here. So on good days, we'll go out there and we'll hit up some of the other islands too for deer. And as a resident, you can shoot them and you can shoot them same day from the plane. So oh, you just have to be, you only have to be 300 feet from the plane, which is pretty cool. So you can't shoot get... them from out of the plane. You can't be flying and shoot them. You have to be 300 <laughs> feet from the plane. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I have a friend who was it like, basically I don't know what the whole title was, but like basically he did all depredation for San Diego and they would fly in Cessnas and use shotguns and shoot running coyotes. And he said, you have to shoot six feet in front of them to hit the coyotes. But he said it was the coolest thing ever. Just like coming in on dogs and shooting them on the run. <laughs> but don't do that.
2: Yeah. Uh, we're not going to do that though. No. <laughs>
0: Yeah, definitely don't. So now that you're up there full time, are you're not being where you are? You're not that far from the lower 48, though, right? Because you're south, so it's it easier to jump over to. To I assume you guys hunt Idaho a lot. You guys hunt Colorado a lot. So you able to jump over and still hunt those hunts? You're still you're not going to leave the lower 48, right? I and mean, you're still going to hunt down here.
1: So what we've talked about, we've been putting in for preference points all of us for a long time now, and we're ready to start drawing some tags. So I think what we're going to start doing, I don't want to beat a hobby horse here, but like hunting in the West is really an massive decline and it's just honestly getting frustrating to me because growing up you'd hunt these places and it was just incredible you wouldn't see people for a week and it was just it's the way it was and it's just not that way anymore we've had some real hard winters we've had a lot of things change and honestly unless there's a massive reformation of how we manage our wildlife it's just we talk about conservation but it's like at this point, conservation's for the rich guys to be able to buy governor's tags and shoot stuff down the road. Like conservation used to mean the average guy would get to go out west and shoot a nice mule deer or a nice elk. I just don't, I don't know what kind of radical reformation would have to happen to even ensure, because that'll, that'll even be a reality for our kids, because the hunting industry has exploded. People realize they can make money on it. They're it's just crazy it's crazy there's
2: a lot more guys from back east coming out west too just and i talk about the salt lake show but like looking back 10 years ago when we were first there versus now it's five times bigger so if you can imagine essentially if you take that metric and apply it to the hunting industry it's five times bigger now than what it was
0: yeah definitely I had this, I'm glad you brought up like the decline of hunting. I feel like everyone feels it. Like I'm, I've been big game hunting since 20, like 16. I've hunted most of my life. I got my license when I was 12 and just started going hunting on my own for birds and stuff. But really got the big game bug in 2016, 2015, 2015, not 16. And, but getting into points and, and I've just seen like units where it should have taken me three points are now at eight points. I can't catch the creep in all these units. And I had Jaden Bales on a couple of weeks ago. I don't know if you know who Jaden is. And I gave, I proposed this to him and I, I made this title. It's called King Game Commissioner. So if you get to be King Game Commissioner right now for the whole country, what do you do with the preference points? What do you do with the whole situation to resolve the problem?
1: The problem is everybody's been spending all this money on the preference points. I think what they didn't foresee was that there was going to be such an uptick in interest. I mean, you're, uh, you're not an outlier. M- many of the people that I talk to, especially in the hunting industry, I hate using that term, but that's what it is now. We're just at Salt Lake and these guys are telling me they've been hunting big game for three years. Mm. And I'm just like, I don't even know how to process that. I'm a little bit of a purist and maybe a snob because I've been hunting since I could walk, mm. but I-, I don't think... I don't know if there is a good answer. That's why I say a radical reformation. So if I was king, how I would do it is you just have to objectively look at everything and people got to bite the bullet and go without for a little while. That's just where we're at. I'll give you a solid example. So Idaho doesn't have preference points, but the population of Idaho, my numbers might be slightly off, but between five 2000 and present day, the population has doubled in Idaho. And a lot of the people that are coming to Idaho are into the homesteading and wanting to provide for themselves and do a little bit of hunting. So every resident automatically gets a tag in Idaho, which means that, let's just say 100,000 people, 10% of the population hunted. We'll just say that in 2000, that was 100,000 people. And today, if it doubled, that's 200,000 people. Our animal numbers, they fluctuate all over the place. I don't know exactly where they're at, but I guarantee you they're not doubled from the 90s. Like in the 90s, the hunting was extremely good especially with elk in a lot of areas and mule deer were phenomenal and now we have double the resident hunting pressure that we had back then like this stuff that's not even sustainable so i would have right out of the gate you pretty much and this i think this is where it's going to go too everything's going to be a draw It's the only way to sustain what we have for the future. Quotas, draws, something like that. And as far as preference points go, I think that's a, that is, that's going to be the greatest failed thing in all of history here in the next 10, 20 years. And everybody will have to go back to Idaho. It's just, it's a lottery every time. And it's too bad that you can't do it. Montana's got a terrible system in Idaho. You can only apply for one thing. As far as the special stuff, like Bighorn, Mountain Goat, Moose, you have to pick one of them to apply for. Montana, you can apply for all of them. So you get all the all these people in every pool and it just drives your chances way down. So I actually think Idaho has a lot going right for it that they never bought into the preference points. And I think that they'll end up being done away with. There's going to be a ton of mad people who've invested a ton of money. At the end of the day, like you got to do what's right, not what's not what's easiest for everybody or makes everybody yeah. happy.
2: When everybody has 25 points for a bighorn sheep in Arizona, what do you do?
0: <laughs> you don't draw. So even with, exactly. so I love your answer, Justin, cause that's the same answer I gave. I would just rip the bandit off right now and be like, sorry, you're done. Cause even with 28 points, it's like, you have 1% chance to draw a sheep tag. You're not going to draw. You have, oh, you have the randoms. You have the random of what? One in 10,000. It's just, not. Yeah. Worth it. I think you rip that bandit off, put it, bring everyone to the same level and you do that. That's
1: why I moved to Alaska, to be honest with you. I'm just, I'm done with it. You can see the future. You can see the writing on the wall. It's already, do you go for a once in a lifetime ram or do you hunt them every year? Like that's what Alaska offers. If you're a resident, you can hunt them every year. And so I, and I believe even that's coming to an end. We're at the tail end of the good old days right now. Like you can mark my words on that. We can watch this in 10 years and you'll go, oh yeah, he said that. There's going to be a lot that changes in Alaska, I guarantee you. Non-residents won't be hunting moose DIY, they won't be hunting caribou DIY. Like everything will be guided in Alaska before long. Like they already annihilated the like they dropped the quotas on deer for non-residents especially on Kodiak in the last year cuz it got it blew up. Like it got super popular. Everybody and their dog were going out there killing deer. And yeah, it's just hey, one of those uh, things. Go ahead, Cole.
2: They were about to shut down the caribou too, up in Alaska for non-residents. They are, they already right.
0: did. I, I have a $2,000 deposit from three years ago and I can't get it back. Crazy. So I heard fly into Kotzebue, paid the outfitter. It was, I think it was like four grand. We paid him two grand each. And it's some, some native thing they put in where they said, oh, non-residents can't hunt. No, keep in mind, I'm whatever, not in Alaska, whatever you want to do. Not, r- natives can kill as many as they want, cast everything. Non-residents who pay a ton of money put into the, can kill one bull.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: They shut it down for non-residents. And so we thought, okay, shut down, we'll get our money back. The guys, oh no, it's an act of God, uh, you don't get your money back. So we're basically perpetually going on a caribou hunt every year in Alaska, and who knows when it's going to end. So I've got to go because I want to go to Alaska so bad. Like I love the adventure. I love the idea of flying in. I, I want to do a float moose hunt some point in my life. Like I, I want to go, and that caribou home is supposed to be like my like. It's supposed to be like the first one, right? That's like you go do caribou in Alaska, right? And then you go do your moose, and then then potentially brown bear if you want to kill brown bear. Like it got a sequence in my mind. I don't know why, but it didn't happen. So yeah, I got to try and get up there and do it because now you're freaking me out because I see it already with down here with mule deer are getting. I don't want to say impossible to draw, but much harder to draw, and it's yeah. only gonna get worse. Like it's only gonna get worse. And I have, I'm in that no man's land with my points, right? Like I have, in most states, six to twelve points now, six to ten points in most states, and I feel like I'm not gonna draw for another ten years on some of these tags. So it's almost like I'd rather just burn them on a unit you know, that takes three points and go hunt every year, but like you say, go hunt an over the counter unit, then just wait. Because like now the Arizona draw was today, and I have nine elk points, so rather than put in for a unit where I know I can kill a bull, I'm like, I don't want to do that. I want to go hunt unit nine or unit 10, right? Because why would I wait 10 years and not go hunt unit nine or 10? I didn't draw, right? And it's just going to be the same thing over and over again, unless I get lucky.
1: I'm in a little bit different place because I've been hunting for quite a while comparatively and killed a lot of stuff. So where we're all at in our heads with this thing is we're saving our points for like once in a lifetime stuff. And so if that takes us another 20 years, it's still just once in a lifetime. And I think that if you blow it, if you're wanting to kill something super special, if you blow it now, you'll absolutely never catch back up. So you just got to weigh that. There are still, honestly, if there's good over-the-counter stuff, Colton killed that 370 bull over-the-counter. And that was a fluke, but not that much. It can be done. Maybe not 370, but 330s, 340s, 350s, pretty doable on over-the-counter tags still. If you hit it right. Like that, You can't do it every year, but every year we've killed good bulls.
0: Yeah. I think the difference between that hunt though, and like a unit nine or unit 10 hunt where you basically, I think everyone wants it. Cause like you, when you go to Arizona for a bull, like in unit nine, I don't want to say it's canned, but it's a much easier hunt. That is a flat area, rolling grasslands like, area to go kill a bull versus like you going out. So I think a lot of people are drawn to that. Right. They want these. That's what everyone's putting in for, it, and they just grow giant bulls. They 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 have low tag numbers, and they're growing these 400 inch bulls. So everyone's drawn to that. Um, not a lot of guys are drawn to enduring the suck that you guys endure to kill that 370 bull. Right? Um, was that the hunt where you guys had the whole like uh, almost suffocating your tent?
2: No, that was just recently. So the 370 bull was last year. Okay. All right. That's 2022.
0: I
1: I have a piece of advice though on that. So we have a style of hunting where we don't want to money stuff to death, but at the same time, if you're going to put in for the next 20 years, here's a couple considerations for you. So if you're going to put in for the next 20 years to draw something, number one consideration is I'm 30, almost seven right now. If I'm putting in for another 20 years, that makes me 57. That's my first consideration. When I'm 57, I'm not going to enjoy the hunt near as much as I will right now from a physical standpoint. Like it's just going to be brutal. In 20 years, the hunt might not even be there. Like we don't know what kind of God disaster is going to happen. Like the winter that hit Northwest Colorado and Idaho and Wyoming. And then on top of that, there's a whole, there's a whole bunch of things. So my point is in there is that you might as well start planning on hunting it in five years and save up five grand a year and pay 25 grand and go kill the thing. Like Hmm. I, and as much as it pains me to say that, that's where the state of hunting is right now. And if you want to experience some of these things, I think that may be the only viable option for a lot of guys. Like you've been religiously putting in for these points. You need to just start saving up. And I know it's a big nut, (laughs) but 25 grand, 30 grand, you can buy. You can buy a real hunt of a lifetime for an elk. And if you're only looking for a once in a lifetime thing anyway, it might not be a bad option at this point because the other options truly may not exist. Because we could get legitimately if that band aid does get ripped off and they just give up on the preference points, all of a sudden you're going to be 20 years into it and they're going to say, oh, sorry, Drew. We don't even do, we don't even do preference points anymore. So now you're just entered into a lottery and now you're 57 years old and you can't go kill this thing. Yeah. Just some thoughts.
0: Yeah, you're sure there don't is. Crush,
2: don't crush people's dreams, Justin.
0: <laughs> I get it though, man. Like I'm cause I'm born in 86. I'm 38, 30, 37. I'm 37. I'm going to be 30. My wife's 38, I'll Be 38 in June and I'm already hurting now like I just I don't feel the same after hunts I've driven by like I stole it riding dirt bikes and hunting and football and all this way up. have grown up I've always lived it and I can see 57 just not being a fun elk hunt I'll do it I'll figure it out I'll I'll go buy freaking llamas or whatever at that point but uh, I, I can see that um,
2: don't get llamas
0: don't buy llamas I'll rent buy I'll rent them I'll rent them <laughs> Uh, but even the, the pricing, you so said like you said earlier, like it's a rich man's sport. It really has blown up, and it is hard. Like I have five kids. Like if I told my wife I was going to go on a doll sheep hunt, like that would be a very, very tough conversation to have. To be like, "Hey, I'm going to spend thirty grand on a doll sheep hunt, and probably more than that, thirty five by the time you do it." Like that, she, it just wouldn't happen. She'd be like, "No, I don't care. You're not going. You're just not doing that. Go kill an odd dad for." four or even a hothead used to be cow elk Jeez, cow elk are four grand now it's just crazy the price people pay for stuff i'm yeah. like more it's I mean it's supply and demand I mean, more power to these guides and these outfitters making all that i'm not making all that money i'm not knocking guys and outfitters but it, it has gotten really expensive and that's a nut, tough nut to crack five grand a lot of money for a dude to save every year just for a hunt when you got to try and buy a house and gas is from california 450 a gallon and that's a hard thing to justify when you can just go hunt over the counter.
1: Deer or well, it also depends how many states you're putting in preference points for. You think about it. I don't know exactly what we spend, but we've got to spend over a grand on preference points every year. Yeah, yeah, No doubt about it. And so that's what I'm talking about. I, I think at a certain point you've got to decide what's your strategy. I was sitting on a mountain this year and I was like, if I killed 10 really nice, So five really good mule deer and five really good elk the rest of my life, I would be stoked. Like I'm talking exceptional ones. And so what is my strategy to go about doing that? And I think if we start thinking a little bit longer, and and this comes back to really the Lord and When we're going through life, we look at everything like the here and now, gratifying our flesh right here, right now, like what is best for me right now, instead of what's best for me, eternity, or really taking a moment and thinking about what does my next 20 years of hunting look like? And so if I start saying, okay, in the next 20 years, I want to kill 10 animals. And then I break down where I would like to experience that for those mule deer and elk. And then I can break down, okay, what's my strategy to get a hold of those tags? Because... I think preference points might be the only option for some guys. Honestly, for us, it's been the only option this far. We can't we can't just throw down the money. The reason I moved to Alaska is because I can't throw down 30, 40 grand for a brown bear. I have to live here so I can hunt them for free. But if it is in your budget, like it might be a much better thing to say, you know what? I'm going to start putting away five grand a year. I'm going to buy a landowner tag. I'm going to go on a hunt in this area. I'm going to go try and get an auction. I might put in for a lottery tag. And I think just developing that strategy is really important, but it all comes down to a longer perspective than here and now. And we're so nearsighted always with this stuff.
0: Yeah. And I do think that you have to be putting in for some of these hunts too. If you don't have the five grand a year, you have to be putting in for some of these things in New Mexico that are random draws, right? Or Idaho where it's a random draw. Cause you never know. You could get lucky and draw that tag. Someone's going to draw it. Right. And we had a guy on, I had a guy on last month who drew a a big horn sheep tag with 10 points. Had a guy on who drew a big horn sheep tag with six points. Right. Both of them killed rounds. One guy killed like a one eighty four. It was just a monster. It was an awesome ram. He was afraid of heights and he killed a sheep. It was awesome. (laughs) Such a good story. It was an awesome dude. But um, that's all good. So we went through the whole points thing. I don't want to bring everyone down. I love watching you guys' Hunt films. I love what you're doing. I think that your walk with God's gone from, right? Like you said, you were in the beginning stages and you are like all over the place. Oh, man. And as I've watched your films, they've gotten noticeably better. Not saying the early ones weren't good, but like these ones this year were next level, you guys. Like it was like some of the stuff I'm watching, they were just really good. Created really well and it's cut better everything about them was just really good speak to that you guys growing doing can you continue to do this
1: yeah i so there's a tension that we talk about a lot between keeping it real and authentic like half of our problem honestly is we we just destroy all of our equipment like people don't even realize we are so hard on everything we destroy every one of our cameras every year Like we're going through phones. There's just nothing safe when you're out there because the elements just beat everything up and what they don't beat up, we do. And from that standpoint, I don't know. We want to be excellent, right? One of our other core values is quality experience. We want to be excellent with everything that we do. One of my personal values is always becoming better at what we do. But, and I at no point want to lose the authenticity. The thing that we're really driving at is we want to get better at storytelling. I think that's what really draws people in and holds people is hearing the story behind, like, how did we get here? And that's what I want to do better at because people look into our lives and they see this little sliver of where we are right now and they have no idea the backstory. They don't understand all the seasons when I was growing up hunting with holes in my boots because I didn't have enough money for new boots and snow is just piling in there, right? And like that, that passion that just drives you year after year and all the junk that we went through as kids and all that stuff shapes you. And what people look at is they look at like right now and they see, oh, you're hunting moose. They don't see that you're picking huckleberries to go hunt moose. They see that you have a plane and they don't understand like everything that goes into it. And so we want to really get better at storytelling. And so that's what you're, I think that's what you're seeing is there's this drive with us and it's been there for a long time and we're just getting better at it. And I'm hoping, Lord willing, we continue to get better at it. And the storytelling aspect of it that really draws people in, captivates, educates all that. I I hope that keeps getting better. But I think that's what, I think that's what you've been seeing is that just desire of us to really communicate better, to reach people with the gospel better, and to produce things that are really true to what's happening out there.
2: And I'll add that I've edited two videos two different times this year because Justin specifically is no i know you can do better so it's one of those things where like you said we are beyond pushing ourselves to do better on our actual physical hunting we're pushing ourselves to really get the shots that we really want to get and put them into a story format well so and then i've got my older brother telling me it's not good enough so
1: that will never never be good enough
2: Never good enough. It's actually a good thing to live by. You can never be good enough. So,
0: I, I always say, I'm always chasing perfection. So, like,
2: yeah, you should I, be as a Christian.
0: Yeah. With, with all my products at Tricer, I'm always chasing perfection. Even if something's like I've had things come out like that LP Panhead, where I've actually made three changes to it in the last year because I'm always chasing perfection. You would never, you, I could have left it as it is and never changed it. And people would thought it was the greatest Panhead ever. But I'm always I'm constantly changing and tweaking because you can always do better and it does reflect into like into your walk with Jesus, with your business, with your hunting, with ever just continue to to try harder and always do better. One thing I do appreciate about you guys too is that you are authentic. Like on your hunts, like it's not like I'm watching this perfect hunt or these perfect hunters or it's not always like the perfect twenty thousand dollar camera, the perfect shot. Like it's just it's not. I feel like I'm there with you guys. And it's an authentic experience hunting with you guys, right? Like in my mind, I'm thinking right now, this hunt where you guys did, where you ended up hiking, like, I think your family was down low and it looks like you're somewhere, I don't want to say where, and you hike all the way up to the top of this ridge, like thousands of feet and you're killing this elk. And It's just, you felt like you were there, right? And and is that something you guys are trying to do? Is it bring you into it or?
1: Yeah, that's ultimately, that's the ultimate goal. I think it's a natural byproduct though the way we hunt and the way we film filming is always secondary from a standpoint of we don't slow down to stage shots, we're not mm-hmm. protecting our gear like we're trying we're just trying to capture capture it the way it is because here i, I think it's spawned out of I'm just sick of churning on videos and I see the hundred sponsors that people are sponsored by, and then there's a commercial break every two and a half minutes and These guys aren't breaking a sweat. Everything's staged. And there's various combinations of that. I'm not saying, by no means am I saying everybody's fake. There's a lot of great hunters out there. All the best hunters I know aren't on video though. Like I know some guys that are just absolute savages and you'll never know their name. You'll never see a picture of them with a deer. They kill bigger stuff, better stuff, and they kill it more often than anybody else. And they could care less about who knows about it. And I think that Mm -hmm. I need a combination of that.
0: Okay. Yeah, I, I do like that. This kind of plays into something I want to talk about, to guys, too. That whole hunter persona thing that you're seeing online, where you got to kill big things. And I even talk to people who are in the hunting space who, who tell me, like, yeah, I don't even like to talk to people because they, they'll make fun of me for not killing big enough stuff because I'm an influencer. I have 70,000 followers. I don't kill anything big, or we don't want to work with you because you don't kill anything big. And he's like, I'm working my butt off. I'm teaching myself how to do this. There is this like persona you got to kill big things and everything has to be perfect, right? Like every video you watch, and I think it's a detriment to hunting. They're taking nine hundred yard shots, and the deer's falling for a shot. I guarantee you, you're missing a lot of those shots. You're not seeing them because just it just no one's not perfect.
1: Now, so, it's no, it's painful to it's painful to show the misses. I think that because so many people edit it out, we find ourselves in this time now where it's become the expectation is if you actually show missing something or wounding something with an imperfect shot it's oh you're a terrible hunter when I know a lot of the stories behind some of the videos that I've watched and it's one shot and the elk dumps over (laughs) I know the real story how that actually went down and that is not how it happened and but I think in some ways the the atmosphere that's been created by the guys that have come before us is there was a time in hunting especially like when I think back to the 90s and early 2000s like When I was getting my license, all the hunters, the instructors were like, don't wear camo in public. You don't want to, you don't want to be a bad witness to non hunters and stir things up. Like now camo is a fashion statement, but like back then those guys didn't want to show stuff because they didn't want to tarnish the name of hunting. I think it started with a really pure heart that they didn't want to tarnish people's perception of hunting and see an animal like languishing or a leg blown off but what happened is it created this idea and it's really a fantasy idea that hunting is this clean thing where you shoot an animal and then you let it wander off and die. and You go check it out like four hours later after you shot it with a rifle or maybe even the next morning when it's 75 degrees out and the thing is rotted and this weird stuff, like it created this weird dynamic that now we have to deal with. So whenever we put out a video and you show the real deal and it's not every shot's perfect. Sometimes just, stuff happens and we're aggressive. And sometimes we don't make the right decision too, but you get excited, you pull the trigger, all those things happen. So it's hard to do that. And for us, there's a real balance. Like we want to be real, but because we're trying to share the gospel, we also, we do hold back a little bit with our videos because we don't want to churn people off from hearing the gospel. One thing I tell the guys all the time is we're not putting anything in the video that's going to stumble somebody from hearing what we have to say about Jesus because Jesus is what this kind of goes into sponsorship and stuff like that too. Like Jesus is what we're all about and what we're selling. And we don't take on any sponsorship that diminishes Jesus. So like we don't promote anybody. We have two major sponsors that are behind us. We've had, we've talked with lots of people, but we have two major people. And the reason that we have them as sponsors is because they're all about the mission of advancing the kingdom of God. And they don't ask for anything from us in return. Like we use their stuff. We love their stuff, but mostly we love our partnership with them as we advance the gospel. So like for us, Jesus has to be front and center. All of our videos are always gonna reflect that, always have, always will. And it's important for us to be putting out content that's authentic, but ultimately nothing that hinders the gospel, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, it does. And I think too, like when you talk about the don't work stuff in public, don't do this. I think there's a false misconception there. Like the same thing goes for like separated church and state, which is a joke. Churches can't talk about politics. Churches, it's like, all that is, is the more you give that, the more you're going to be silenced. I think that's detriment, right? Like you don't shoot, you said you shot an animal. You don't shoot an animal, you harvest an animal. Like, no. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you, shoot, you shoot! Like when I pull the trigger, I'm trying to kill that animal and I might shoot in the guts and I'm going to shoot it like four, sometimes four more times, like something, cause it's just, it's running and I have to try and get this thing down. Cause now I've injured this animal, I have to kill it. It's sometimes it is a savage experience, right? But that's how it's just the reality of it, right? It's not this, and maybe I'm just, this doesn't happen every time, but it's happened to me. I, I would be lying if I didn't say that I've had to shoot an animal up the butt to kill it because I, I, did, I didn't have a great shot. But at that point, like once you pull the trigger and do the T, it's just you have hey, to
2: finish. You can't take the bullet back.
0: You can't take the bullet back. I tell my kids all the time, you can't take that shot back. So make sure you're stable when you pull that trigger the, to give the animal. And by no means do I disrespect animals. I love animals. Like, I want to be the, like, there's no more like sickening feeling than when you lose an animal. Like when yeah. you, you shoot an animal and you lose the an animal, it is, it should tear you apart. It, it, it's, you didn't do your job the bottom line or you rushed it or you just sometimes things go wrong. So I was going to talk to you guys about this and I want, you want your opinion on it. Um, with this whole, the long range shooting and polymer guns, this whole chassis rifles. I had some really bad experiences with dudes shooting a thousand yards on a few hunts this year. We're going back to the truck and get more ammo, shoot top for Ridge guys. You couldn't even make it down. We'll get it out. I have decided to and this isn't almighty, but I'm going I'm buying a Browning 30 out six Woodstock. I'm putting a Leopold on I'm hunting with that all year this year. What are your thoughts?
1: Awesome. Yeah, I think that's awesome. I I'm not gonna bash anybody. I we spend a lot of time out hunting and every year we witness a handful of horror shows of guys shooting from one ridge top to another that's a thousand to 1500 yards they watched a video where somebody did it and they hit it in the first shot and they're not experiencing the same results 15 shots later the animals limping they're limping up the other hillside or whatever uh i there was a point i remember when long range hunting first became a thing and kind of the early 2000s, I could not wait to get a gun because I was like, everything is going to die. I'm going to be able to shoot stuff in a thousand yards. And it was all about just murdering something. And to me, it's just I've seen so many posts of guys and they're like, Oh, 1500 yards was as close as I could get to this thing. And I was just like, this is getting out of control, guys. What You could say I shot it at 1500 yards, but don't tell me 1500 yards is as close as you can get to this animal. That's just a joke at the end of the day. And I'm just, I really value the experience of stalking animals. I love making good shots on stuff. And everything that we've been talking about, if you're listening to this podcast and you're like, oh, they're, they shoot animals and they don't hit them perfect, they're horrible human beings. And, in the next breath, you're saying, "Oh, I want to do some long range shooting." You're going to be doing the same and worse, long range yeah. shooting. Like you just will. And long range can be 400 yards in the wrong conditions. Long range isn't much about a distance; it's about all the variables. When you get out to a thousand yards, things are just unpredictable completely.
2: Especially in the mountains.
1: Yeah, in the mountains, you have updrafts, downdrafts. You have everything going on, and so I, I don't know, man. I think. I got a, I'm putting a six power scope on my rifle this year for all my brown bear hunting and everything, a one to six power. And I'll be shooting all my moose and everything with that. Honestly, I haven't counted it up, but in the last 50 animals that we've killed, I we've only killed maybe one out there past 600 yards. Every once in a while, I'll still utilize some long range. I can shoot pretty good out to 600. I will not shoot a deer past 400. That's just not my thing. Yep. Colton's a little bit better than me shooting long range. But this is recorded, right? Yeah. I like shooting (laughs) stuff up close and personal. Yeah. I am like, a a lot of people think that we're shooting stuff long range and we'll blow something over at 80 yards and somebody will comment on the video, oh, shooting everything at 500 yards. I'm like, I don't even know what to do about this. Yeah. We're shooting stuff so close most of the time.
2: For the most part, I think most of the animals that we've killed in the last few years have been like, 300 and under. I killed my bull in 2022 at 650. That's the longest shot I've made in a hot minute on an animal. Everything else has been really close. And I always hear Justin's voice when I'm about to pull the trigger on something. It's get closer. So he said that to me years ago and it just, it's stuck with me is just get closer.
0: Yeah. That, that quarter mile mark, which is like 420 yards, 425 yards. I feel like once you get past that, things can go hairy. It really can. And I don't care how good of a shot you are, like, especially on deer. Like I'll go and take my buddies down the desert and I'll put a deer target. I make these silhouettes, shoot that deer at 600 yards. You're shooting it in the neck, you're shooting it in the guts, you're shooting it. It's just, it's, it's just hard. And, and the thing is like, I get it. The elevation thing is almost turnkey. Now you get the elevation, right? Pretty much perfectly. It's the wind side of it and the animal moving and all stuff that goes wrong in that. And you're not shooting off a bench you're probably not shooting perfectly prone. You probably have a rock up your butt or a, a tree, you know, stabbing you in the side, right? Or like my kids' deer this year. He had or deer his first year, two years ago. Uh, we had ants biting us. We're shooting this deer. Um, yeah, I really do. In general, try and get to under 400 yards. That's my goal, and, and under three is really my goal. If Coos you a little bit harder, sometimes you got you're going to be in that 400 yard range because you're just. Hard to get on some of the places I hunt. We're just not covering. You're in wide open country trying to hunt them, but I do think that in this, and I have the wacky guns. I have the custom five law rifles. I get a couple of them. I was just talking to my partners about it. I'm like, I want to shoot a wood thirty six because it's fine. That is taboo. A wood stocked thirty six is a taboo cartridge now.
1: And yeah, is- I think you just got to be careful which voices you listen to. There's a handful of. That's just crazy. I don't know. Yeah, you're right. You're right to a level.
0: You, you have to be, and I'm not knocking like the PRC stuff. And you have to have this crazy cartridge or a 6.8 Western. No offense, 6.8 Western. I, I'm, I'm buying one. It's a 270. But you can't shoot yeah. 270. You got your grandpa's gun, but you got your 6.8 Western, right? It's this weird thing. I'm excited for that this year. I don't know what I'm going to call it. I'm going to call myself a trad hunter now, like a trad rifleman, because I'm shooting a out <laughs> 6 That's funny. Dial on it. So I'm going to be a trad guy this year, and I'm going to try and try and get it all done. My goal is no other, no rifle except for that rifle. So 30 out six across the board. Yeah, uh, I, I talked to Ben Detamani about it too, a little bit, and he's going to do 270 for his all years. He's doing an old Mauser 270 that Grandpa made for him. So uh, maybe it's a thing. Maybe we're going to see this like return to the the Grandpa cartridges, and they're not Grandpa cartridges, and they're phenomenal cartridges. It's just they've gotten pushed to the side because if you don't have, I think there's this feeling that if you don't have this rifle or this thing, you're not going to kill it, right? You have to have this stuff.
1: It's become that way. Years ago, we hunted in New Zealand. So this is 10 years ago, and we have some good friends over there. And they say that Americans are all into their gimmicks. That's just what they all say over there. They're just like, the Americans are into their gimmicks. And my friend specifically said, he said, all you need is a good shooting rifle and some ambition. And that is true. It doesn't matter what rifle you have in your hands. People have been killing stuff with a spear for all these years. And when you go to Alaska, when you're hunting Alaska for these moose, killing the moose is not hard. Uh, It's enduring out there for the whole time, getting there. It's all the logistics. All that other stuff is tough. But once you get the moose in front of you, you just blow it over. That's just the way it is. And most of the animals up here, it's not about how tough the animal is to hunt for the most part. It's just the... It's the adversity of everything else about Alaska that's difficult.
0: So on the cartridge topic, what cartridge are you guys shooting? What's your go-to for like Alaska for Moose?
1: I've been 300. Any combination, anything 30 caliber and bigger is good. To be honest with you, we haven't bought guns for a long time. Like we've been shooting guns that have been given to us. And so we've been really blessed in that way. Gotten to shoot some really cool, nice guns. I've shot... From the beginning, I've pretty much shot 300, 300 Ultra Mag and then got 300 Weatherby Mags for a long time. And then I've been shooting a 300 PRC. And this year, I'm going to be shooting a 375 Ruger. Um, really? For everything up here. Yep. I'm building that gun out. That's going to be pretty much my, I told you, I'm putting a six pa- one to six power scope on that sucker. Like I'm shooting everything close and I'm going to blow a hole through it the size of Texas is my plan.
0: Is that going to have the the open sights on it as well, like underneath the scopes? So you can do both, or is it just going to be just scope on top?
1: No, just that one power scope when you're getting in close, and then if things really aren't just working out, just from the hip.
2: No, that's right. <laughs> that's why I want a forty five seventy, just in case things go completely sideways.
0: <laughs> so, do you uh, do you guys carry like what do you guys carry for sidearms when you're hunting up there in the bear country?
1: I try not to carry a sidearm. I try to carry nothing but really? a rifle in my hands. Most of the time we do. I've had a 10 millimeter. I'm getting a bigger gun this year. I don't like anything semi-automatic. <laughs> it is like inevitable. The one shot that you're going to need it, it will not go off. Like mortal. mortal jam. Like I handed it, I handed my 10 to my brother when we were hunting and he shot at a Tarmigan and it jammed. I'm just like, that would happen right when a bear is charging you. It would jam right then. So I'm a revolver guy. Me too. I've always had revolvers, except for the last couple of years, I had that 10, and I'm going to be going back to a revolver. But honestly, I've shot a lot of stuff with pistols, bears specifically, finishing them off. And I'll never forget, there was this one bear, and I shot it six times with a pistol, and the thing was still moving. And it was a black bear. And I was just like, I have never shot something with a 300 Ultra that didn't just die at close range. It is done for. But you shoot a bear with a pistol six times and it's still wiggling. I'm like, what happens when you get a 1500 pound brown bear coming at you? I just feel much more comfortable with a rifle in my hands. I just know when I pull that trigger, it's going to be feeling 300 grains of lead going through it. (laughs) Is that how much? Yeah, There's
2: there's no comparison for, I've been packing a 44 for years and Mm -hmm. the best energy I think I get out of it's 1200 foot pounds of energy. When you compare it to like that three seventy five Ruger, I think at the muzzle it's got five thousand almost. Yeah. Something. Like forty eight hundred, forty eight hundred foot pounds of energy. You're talking four times the energy hitting something. It, there's no way to compare that. So honestly, most pistols, unless you get up into a five hundred Smith and Weston, even that's underpowered for a lot of circumstances. You don't want a pistol in your hand when a bear is charging
1: you. That's well, basically. The that's, I'm going to be running a 500 this year, and like a pistol's better than nothing. But I'm just saying, if at all possible, I want my shot. If I have one shot at a bear, I want it to come out of a rifle. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Pistol. In my mind, the pistol is just last resort. Some friends of ours, you probably have seen the, you might have seen the hunt, but they wounded a brown bear a couple of years ago, and the rifle jammed, and thank God he had a big pistol on him, but then. The pistol fell off in the snow and it turned into this total cluster, and the bear comes all the way down to him. And oh, yeah, he ends well,
0: up in the snow, right? And they'd go up on the rocks, and yeah, yeah. yeah. That's gnarly. And
1: he ends up shooting it with his pistol. That is where a pistol shines, right there. When, every, like, you got to have redundancy. Like, anytime you're doing anything extreme, it's like with flying, everything's redundant. You got two mags, you got two fuel tanks, like, You have every, there's this redundancy so that if one thing goes wrong, you're good. And so we'll always carry pistols, but my preference is even when I'm packing, I try to have a rifle with us just because when you walk into that bear, you'd rather shoot it with a rifle than a pistol 10 times out of 10.
0: Do you have bear spray as well?
1: Sometimes. I think bear spray is super effective. I've gotten hit with it and it's miserable. (laughs)
0: my not bear spray my kid when he was little we had pepper spray up like on top of this like china cabinet in our house and i remember him getting up there in his ear and him just gagging and watering eyes and throwing up i'm like oh that stuff works doesn't it probably never do that again <laughs> hitting himself with it I'm kind of getting towards the end of this thing what hunts do you guys have coming up what videos you guys have coming out you got anything crazy for this year
1: we've got three more major videos coming out this year we're going to release some shorter stuff as well But we got an awesome caribou hunt coming out and then some Montana mule deer and another good elk hunt. The caribou hunt turned out top-notch. That one's done and ready to roll um, here in about a week and a half. But as far as hunts coming up, we're going to be, we're doubling down on Alaska this year. So really? Yeah. Unless I draw some killer mule deer tag, I'm going to be hunting nothing but Alaska and Colton will be up here with me. So that's our plan. We'll get some brown bear. You're going to see brown bears this next year. Long as we don't but die. Long yeah. as we don't die, Lord willing, we're gonna we're gonna kill some brown bears, some sheep, goats, and moose for sure. Maybe some caribou. So lots of good stuff up here.
0: Dude, that's so awesome. Now what about black bear? You have interest in doing up there or no?
2: I've killed a lot of black we're, bears. We're a little bit over black bears at this point in our lives.
0: <laughs> so you're just big moose and the the mountain goat seems really intriguing to me the sheep sounds really intriguing to me and you've never killed a sheep right
1: i've killed three. Oh, really yeah i've killed two doll sheep and uh bighorn in idaho oh wow yeah so and sheep are actually sheep are on the bottom of my list personally
2: yeah i want to kill a doll sheep i haven't killed a doll sheep but i killed my bighorn last year
0: oh you drew the tag okay yeah and and so what's on top of your list then brown bear and
1: Brown bear. If I killed one thing this year, it'd be a brown bear. Second thing would be a goat and then I'll go for everything else. But my focus I'm going to be pretty laser focused on harvesting, A harvesting, not shooting. (laughs) Hey, I'm going to go pluck it out of the ground. Big brown bear. That's be
0: careful. they will harvest you if you're not careful. And so what's your plan for the brown bear? You're going to do a life-size mount or rug or what's the plan to that?
1: I, it'll depend on how good it is. I'll definitely, if it's a, If I end up not getting a great one, then it'll just be a I'll just tan the hide and hang it. But if it's good caliber, I'll probably rug it. And if it's really big, I'll probably life size it. We'll see.
0: That's over ten
1: feet I'll probably life size it.
0: Just so you can have that giant thing in your house somewhere.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I'll have to save up. I'll have to save up for a while, but I'll life size it.
0: (laughs) Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I'll bet you that's a ten thousand dollar amount. I don't know how much this thing's costing. I
1: don't know either. Can't be cheap.
0: No. But that's uh That's awesome, guys. Thanks for coming on, man. Where can we find you? Where, where should we follow you? Tell us about that stuff.
1: That's what Colton does. I'm not even on social media anymore, so he has to answer that. So we have, our limit, we have our Limitless Outdoors YouTube channel.
2: We're also on the Pursuit channel, and that airs Sunday mornings as well as I think Fridays. Saturday. Or Saturdays is another airing. And then our Instagram is Limitless Outdoors Official, and our Facebook is just Limitless Outdoors. Those are all of our things then we also have a patreon where we release videos and just a little bit more insight into what's going on with us and things ahead of time so yeah what we do and then we do another major thing that we do that maybe a lot of guys aren't aware of is that we do a first mile discipleship program we have our book that we release or we give out for free completely for free to people and it's just a It's just to help guys walk through and learn who Jesus is and how to walk out their life with Jesus. So that's a huge thing that we do. We're about to start up another first mile discipleship class and we release sign up periods occasionally for when we can fit guys in. It's a seven week course that we go through on Zoom and we have a bunch of leaders doing it now and we're about to start one up in less than two weeks, I think now. So we're looking forward to that. That's honestly, that's one of the highlights of what we do is seeing people's lives change Mm -hmm. through Jesus, through, through us bringing Jesus to them. It's a huge thing for us. We, the messages that we get of support for what we do far outweigh the amount of YouTube comments hating on what we do, but it's really, that's the whole thing for us is seeing lives changed. Cause like me personally, Justin all of us, we were once at that point where, Our lives were our lives were a mess. And it it completely got changed through Jesus. So that's the whole thing for us.
0: Amen. All right, Justin, wrap us up in a prayer here and we'll get out of here. All right.
1: Lord, I just thank you for this day, and I thank you for all that you've done in our lives, your provision and your power, your leadership and more than anything, Lord, I just thank you for your grace, for saving us, for forgiving us, even when we still make mistakes, Lord. And I just pray that you would watch over us, watch over our families as we continue to go out there and take on the world, Lord, that you've given us to steward and tend to. I pray that anyone who listen is listening to this, Lord, I just pray that you'd be encouraging them in their spirit, Lord. I pray that you'd take them to a whole nother level in their relationship with you. And Lord, I just pray that you would prosper both the ministries of Limitless and Tricer, Lord, and just pray for Drew and his leadership and Paul there as well. And Lord, we just pray that you be glorified by everything that we say, do, and think. And we commit all this to you in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Amen. All right, let's do it again, guys.
1: All right, love it. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Tricer podcast. Do us a favor and like and subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. Give us a follow on Instagram and Facebook at TricerUSA. And go and check out all of our innovative gear at www.tricerusa.com. Until next time, shoot straight, have fun, and always put God first.